On this episode of The Playbook, I have Hakeem Valez, retired NFL player, real estate investment strategist, and public speaker. And we get into the importance of being willing to eat dirt. Also, he has one of the most terrifying stories I've ever heard. Join us for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host and CEO of Sports One Marketing, David Meltzer. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneur's The Playbook, and I am so excited about this entrepreneurial journey here because I have Hakeem. Valez, and uh, hopefully I pronounced it quietly. Most of you know him as being an NFL star, playing in Arizona, great football player, but, you know, that's not good enough for the playbook, man. We've had, you know, Hall of Famers on here. You are a Hall of Famer of entrepreneurs, and I have to get into your story because I'm so excited. I love when it's in your blood. I believe that there's a quantum memory. You inherit, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit. When did your entrepreneurial journey start? Uh, it started <clears throat> way back in fifth grade. Uh, yeah, fifth grade. I was actually my dad just found the old T-shirts that I used. To, I had made. It's called the Green Boys Landscaping Company. And my older brother, I made ads on Craigslist, and I would go all across town and all my neighbors' house, and I would cut grass. Um, and then once I got to seventh grade, my mom she ran the concession stand for like my older brother at the high school, so she had a Sam's card. Uh, Sam's card. And I was in Sam's Club, and I saw the Skittles in there. And the Wild Berry Skittles, they were $13. And I was like, there's 36 bags of Skittles in here, and everywhere I go, Skittles are at least a dollar. So I had my mom start to buy me uh, boxes of Skittles, and I would go to school with two backpacks, one with my Skittles in it, one with my books in it, and I'd sell them for a dollar and make about $23 per box of Skittle. And that's how I bought my first cell phone. And you bought that cell phone. And did, when, when you were saving your money, did you have something in mind that you wanted to buy? Or did you wait till you had the money and, and then decide what you wanted? It was kind of both. Mm-hmm. It was, I knew, like, once I knew I could buy things, as long as I had, like, a machine that could, you know, start to make me money. And, like, I knew I wanted, it was the white chocolate LG, like a little sliding phone. <laughs> nice. and, uh, How I, old were you? I was in seventh grade, so, so I was. Okay. So you're lucky. Too too young for girls, so you don't have to waste your money there. Exactly. You're right for the cell phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then leading to that cell phone, what what was the next entrepreneurial thing? Um, you know, football was that important to you at the time? Honestly, in grade? basketball was. Basketball. So if you asked me back then, I was going to the NBA. My middle school at the time they had just cut sports, so I asked my like, my dad's like the best dude alive, and he literally like challenged me if I wanted to do it I could do it meaning if I wanted to go to LA Fitness at 4 a.m. every morning before school he would take me but I had to wake him up that was the only rule and so from sixth grade through eighth grade I was up at 4 a.m. every day going to LA Fitness getting my shots in I would there's these things called jump soles that you put on your toes so you could dunk and like I wanted to dunk like when I was that young so I would get my jump soles workout in on Thursdays and Fridays the older guys would come in and I'd run pickup ball with them and that was, I had hoop dreams, like football was on the back burner back then. Yeah. And so you have the hoop dreams and the entrepreneurial spirit. What was your next entrepreneurial venture? Um, it was going from uh, high school, like going into college. When did you start playing football? So I started playing when I was probably in like 
fourth, fifth grade. Pop Warner. Um, yeah, but okay. football kind of got like in high school, for example, I was going to quit football. Junior year of high school, I went to I went to boarding school. I went to the petty school, and my advisor was also my basketball coach. And I went to him going into my junior year. I was like, I want to go to Duke. I want to go D one for basketball. I can't do that because every time basketball season comes around, I'm in football shape. And like I'm the guy who's always dragging and I feel like my lungs are on fire because I'm still in football shape and all the guys get to run pickup. You know, Once again, proving that basketball players overall well-rounded athletes. Oh my gosh, unreal. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, And so he was like, honestly, football teaches you things I can't teach you on the court. So stick with it for one more year your junior year if you really don't like it well we'll, you can quit and your senior year will focus on getting you into basketball college for basketball and junior year was my breakout year and being self-aware I realized there's a lot of letters coming in for football and nothing really coming in for basketball. Krzyzewski <laughs> wasn't banging down the door, right? <laughs> no. And I realized it was, I was going to be able to, if I was going to go What position to, did you play? I played That's wide receiver and quarterback. And quarterback. Yeah. And it was my, going to my senior year, I had tore my labrum and I didn't get to play, I didn't get to play anything my senior year. Yeah. My which, which happens, right? Kids are highly recruited their junior year and then get hurt. Every school dropped me. Nick Chubb was an incident, I know, the same. So every school drops you. Yep. So now, now you have an entrepreneurial Yeah, it actually mind, happens right? like right around right, then. Yeah. yeah. So uh, going into, so every school dropped me and I went to, I decided on Monmouth University. It was the only school that gave me a scholarship. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> that summer, my little brother, he, he broke his uh, iPhone 4 for like the 10th time. And my dad was like, I'm not fixing it anymore. So I went on YouTube and I was like, let me just check this out and just see. It was like YouTube is starting to really, you can find a lot of do-it-yourself instructional stuff. That was like the hot thing. That's what people still use it for. (laughs) (laughs) And there was like 30-minute videos like showing exactly how to fix a phone. And I was like, whoa. And I go on Amazon.com and it was like, this is literally probably like a month before Prime came out. Because yeah. I was, remember, it's an iPhone 4, so we can put the time Yeah, you can put the time in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We don't see many of those around anymore. <laughs> and screens were like 25 bucks, and I was like, you go to the mall, and it's in between like 80 and 120 bucks to get it fixed. And I was like, there's a market here. And like, I fixed this phone. It took like six and a half hours. And when I pressed the lock button on the side and it worked, I was like, I've got a business here. And I remember I fixed one of my friends from high school. She had broke her phone. And she wasn't going to be there. So I was going to be by myself. And this was, going to be, this was like the second phone that I was going to fix. And it took me like another four hours. And I was like, all right, I got to actually get good at this. So I took my phone out literally until I showed up on campus every day. I was just taking my phone apart, putting it back together, taking it apart, putting it back together. So until you're working could, out for college football and yep. fixing phones. You're practicing picking, you're practicing right, fixing phones. And as soon as I stepped on How campus. How fast did you get before school started? Probably about 20, 15 to 20 minutes. I could do it in a moving car. I can do it. Wow. I can do it anywhere. All right, good, because my phone's broken. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, so now you go to Monmouth. In that time, now that you got hurt, are you thinking pro football or you just want a free education? So I wanted to go because, like, that year not being able to play, that spring when I finally got healed, I really got to train. And, like, my first time not playing a sport, basketball or football. Um, and I, I had NFL dreams then. It's funny. I have oh, this cool. letter that I wrote to myself when I, I did honors theater my senior year. And we had to write like letters to ourselves, like, who's your best friend right now? Who's your crush right now? And then it was like, what are you going to be doing five years from now? And I said I was going to be in the NFL playing wide receiver. And like, I wasn't, I really wasn't the guy in high school, but like I was bold enough and like thought that I could do it. And I finished my rookie year and I got this letter from my high school. And like, most of the time you think like, uh, 
from a boarding school. It's like, give money, give money, give money type yeah. of letter. But it had, it was handwritten. I was like, it's kind of weird. Caught my eye, open it up. And it's like a letter to myself. And like, it had from that on there. That's it's pretty so cool. cool. So um, you get to school though, and you think you're going to be a pro football player. You're working hard, but you actually start the iPhone business. Yeah. And it was... How'd that go? It was awesome. I mean, I fixed, <laughs> I mean, I fixed three, four or five phones a day. It was all word of mouth and Twitter yeah. and a little bit of Craigslist. And then as I was fixing them, I realized that I had all these, I was say, I didn't throw out any of the cracked screens. And I realized there was this recycle company in Alabama that would take my cracked screens, give me $5 per cracked screen. And I was like, whoa, how many people actually know about this? So I went to every iPhone repair shop, probably like 30 miles from my school. And I literally negotiated with them to sell me their cracked screens for $2.50. And I was literally in my dorm room, boxing up like thousands of cracked screens and shipping them out to Alabama and making five bucks per screen. <laughs> and how much money do you think you made in total? A lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. What did you do with your money? Uh, I mean, most of it was, I was just self-sufficient. Like I never yeah. asked my parents for a dollar. Like, yeah. And they ever. knew you were selling phones. Oh, you know, selling phones. They knew at the same Screens. time. So my... My degree was business with a concentration in real estate. The girl I was dating at the time, her dad had just started a house flipping business. He took me under his wing. We flipped about 10 houses in North Jersey from like my freshman year to my junior year. And then we broke up. Did, did you ask him to help you? It was kind of a, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, he knew that was my major. And I'm like, I want to get into this. He was just getting started. And he was just like excited to have someone young. I, I did everything Re for Repeat it. that because I, this is where I think most young entrepreneurs, college students fall down is that there's so many people out there have these great dreams, technology, real estate, all types of different areas, and they get this opportunity that someone is a mentor, and they're just afraid to say anything. When meanwhile, this guy is like so excited that someone's actually Absolutely. interested in what it's, you're it's, doing. It's, it's, and, you, and, you, and they think you're, you're smart, because guys my age, all they hear all day from their teenage kids is that we know nothing. And then here's a teenage kid going, I want to do exactly what you want to do. And can you teach me? I think you're a genius. Absolutely. Right. And so I just want to reiterate that at, no matter what age you are, I believe you should always find someone. It's so real. That, that does it, which is part of the reason our relationship, right? I have a lot of experience and I see what you're doing as we get into it even further. In 100%. Real estate. So you're playing at mom and I guess instantly you're a superhero there? No. So, <laughs> and actually to go back, I wanted to yeah, double please. down on what you just yeah. said. You also got to be willing to eat dirt because like, I wasn't just like, I wasn't doing I the- shovel shit. The yeah. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't doing the glamorous, you know, million dollar house flipping HGTV show. It was, not only was I helping him with that, he owned a printing shop and I did all the legwork for him in the shop. So he could do the high level work for the flipping business. So I was, instead of hiring a delivery man, I took his pickup truck and I was taking, I think one of his contracts was the uh, Port, Port Authority in New York. Yeah. So I'm dropping stuff off there. I'm dropping stuff off at post office. I'm dropping stuff off here. Um, handwriting all of our direct mail stuff that we were doing for the houses we wanted to flip. I, instead of uh, mailing it, you couldn't put it in their mailbox, but you could drop it in their actual doors. So I would drive drop it in the doors of the people that we wanted to mail house uh, and buy their houses from. Yeah. Um, but it was really, really eating the dirt. But going back to being the man at Monmouth, I was far from it. I, I rode the bench for three years. Was so, that frustrating? Because you, first of all, are at a school that is probably smaller than you should have went to. And then you rode the bench for three years while you're, you know, exploring this entrepreneurial, you're a good student, you know, you're really motivated. 
you know, what what was it that kept you playing? I think it was just ultimately just trusting the process, like knowing that I've, I have a five-year window. It's only three years. If I get on the field enough for two, I can play. Because knowing my little brother, he played for two years and got drafted. Yeah. And it was like, I know that... I'm good enough. I know I've seen like I know the guy who's in front of me who just made it to the NFL and I know that he's not that much better than me. And it was just more of just trusting it, like legitimately trusting it and like watching I mean it's hard. You watching your friends who you came in with who aren't playing too, they transfer and they go somewhere else and then they go play. Yeah. And then the other guys they get kicked off the team, they get in trouble and things like that happen. It's it's really hard, but you know it's so interesting because my business partner Warren Moon, I was asking him like what must have been like for six years to be in Canada and sit there like you were on the bench, but they're going, I'm better than these guys down and mm -hmm. winning great. I mean, you're showing like you're sitting on the bench. You don't get a chance to show anyone. He's actually showing people how good yeah. he is. So it's just remarkable that self-determination and belief that you're not listening. I say you're not voting for what other people think. You're not putting faith in what other people say. That's real. Right. That's and, real. and I think it's really important uh, because I think your success comes from thinking outside the box, putting faith in yourself, and not just putting faith, but putting the work in. Did you continue to work as if you were gonna be in the NFL even though you were on the bench? Oh my gosh, I mean, catching thousands of balls during my free time. Every summer, didn't have to take summer classes, but I took summer classes just so I can get in front of the coaches so they can see me working out. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to see me, and doing that for three years and not playing each year, it's pretty rough. That's but. awesome, and then you get your break. Yeah, the play. Well, I finally I got that break. It was mainly just because I made the switch. It was, I got the break because it came down to the point where it was like I might not even be making to the NFL, but I wanted to get a master's. I wanted to get my MBA because I, I I knew I was going to graduate in four, mm -hmm. and that if I could squeeze in uh, as many credits as possible in my fifth year, I could do it. And I made the switch from wide receiver to tight end so I could get my MBA because I realized we had a tight end who got a concussion, and I was like, I think I can be able to get on the field. Because I'm fast enough, and I'll I'll eat You're enough food enough, right? to get there. I, I mean, I was I was a lot. I, I put on about thirty to forty pounds in a month. Yeah, I was eating five slices of pizza with every meal. I'd eat uh, what's it? Uh, hard boiled midnight. Eat at midnight. Hard boiled eggs with cottage cheese, like every yeah. meal. Just the it was disgusting. But I put on the weight. And first game, I got my first catch. Second game, got my first touchdown. And like third game and on, I started. And then it was all said, and you end up playing in the NFL. And this is where it gets interesting to me because a lot of guys put their business acumen and their business knowledge and their, their, their business pursuits on hold, mm -hmm. which I think is okay. But you actually, you, from day one in the NFL, you put your mind to work and said, hey, I got to live here anyway. What'd you do? So I, 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 knew, I, I knew of a strategy called house hacking. And it was actually, so as soon as, there's this site called Bigger Pockets. Um, it's like a Facebook for real estate investors. And I knew leveraging the fact that I'm an NFL player, they have local forums. So I introduced myself in the local Tempe, Arizona forum saying, hi, my name is Hakeem Vallis, rookie for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, interested in house hacking and buying my first multifamily property here in Tempe, looking to network with other like-minded investors. And probably like 50 people responded to it. And I took them all out to coffee and literally talked up and down. They showed me their systems, how they run their properties, took me on tours of their properties. Some of them pitched me some stuff that I wasn't interested in, but a lot of them just genuinely wanted to help and were just excited to have access to an Arizona Cardinal. Yeah. Um, and that was when I, I really, I found an investor slash realtor 
who understood the house hacking technique and I bought a fourplex. So using the FHA loan, I put as little as three and a half percent down on a $268,000 fourplex. I only came out of pocket 13,000. And a after- A couple cell phones for you. <laughs> yeah, <right>? a couple <laughs> cell phones. And after buying it, I never paid a dime because my tenants paid my mortgage. That's awesome. And then you get traded to Detroit. So I go to Detroit after a year and a half in Arizona. So I took that unit, rented it out, and went to the Lions, and I bought a duplex and did the same thing. Lived on one side, airbnb the other side, and it covered my mortgage and lived for free. And you still own those properties? Yeah, I own both of them. And now you're playing, and you you know, like Walter Powell, who I love, you know, you're one of the few athletes that said, you know what? I'm not going to get so busy with this football stuff. I might get rich playing football, but I'm not going to get wealthy. And I think you see that distinction. In fact, I, looking and listening to you, there's this fire of you know being more interested than interesting, of living life to its fullest. Um, is there something that happened to you when you were young that you know gave you this kind of uh, different? Because yeah. you have a different attitude. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, who the heck just spends six hours doing the cell phone? Who does all that? Like, you just have this incredible attitude of I want taking fifty people out for coffee, right? T tell me about what happened. So it was, it was actually between my senior year and my fifth year of college. Um, me, my mom, my dad, my grandma, we went on a missionary trip to Haiti. Um, so I'm Haitian, and our mission was to give out medicine to different churches and orphanages across the country. Um, we went out there with that group, some people from our church, some nurses from Villanova University. Um, and it was, I mean, the most beautiful week of my entire life. Like, being able to be ingrained with your own country, with your own people, eating the food, eating tree-riped mangoes and uh, coconut and things like that. It was it was unreal. Um, and it was till it's May 29th, it was 2015, and there was four of us. We were playing the card game called Spades, and um, there was a storm that night. So to let a breeze in, we opened up the steel bolted door, um, and like we had 10-foot walls with barbed wire on the outside, and all of a sudden, like. You ever seen those uh, electric fly swatters that you kill bugs with? Yeah, psst, yeah, psst, yeah. Psst. We were killing a whole bunch of bugs with those the whole trip. And all of a sudden, you hear this loud pow. And like my initial reaction is, is who's hitting the fly swatter at 2.30 in the morning? I was frozen. Yeah. There was this guy sitting across the table from me. His name's T. He realizes what's happening. It was a gunshot. And all of a sudden, you see a foot uh, kick through the front door. And eight guys storm in. And T jumps across the table, tackles me out of my chair. And like that guy who shoots through the door got scared and shoots point blank at us and because he tackled us we're on the ground and the gunshot went right into the wall and they flip over the table there's a girl next to us and she had a shawl on they rip it into pieces we all get hog tied so hands tied behind your back feet tied at your ankles hands tied at your feet and blindfolded and they went room to room and stole everything uh they punched one lady in the face attempted to rape another lady and failed the pastor, there was a pastor who was staying with us, and if you didn't know where his bedroom was, you'd have never looked there. So he was hiding uh, under his bed, and he calls the police, like, send help, we're under attack. And the cops go, like, where are you guys located at? Nope, we don't come to that area. Click, and just hang oh. up on him. And so then he calls the next door neighbor. He says, go outside with your gun and just empty the clip out in the air. So all of a sudden, outside, so from my perspective, I don't speak Creole, I don't know that conversation's happening, and outside you just hear like all these gunshots going off and i'm thinking like the country's under attack like there's a war going right. on i have no idea what's happening and i'm blindfolded and 
uh, after those shots, we thought the bandits had scurried off, but on our compound had our house, and then it had a small medical clinic, and they were in the medical clinic stealing all of our medical supplies and things like that. And at that moment, so my dad, who's 20 years uh, ex-military, state pol- uh, five, five years military, 20 years state police, unties himself, starts to crawl out to see if anybody got hit by any of those gun, uh, gunshots, closes the steel door, locks it, starts to untie me. And all of a sudden you hear, doom, 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 they're banging on the door again about 40 seconds later. And we're like all trying to be quiet because we're, we're dead bolted in now so they can't get in. And then they start shooting out the windows. So, pss, 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 and like we're just sitting ducks. So my dad's like, okay, okay, okay. Opens the door back up. They rough him up, tie him back up, throw him on top of me, go through the house again. And probably about an hour or so later, you finally hear sirens going off in the distance. The bandits, they scurry off. The cops, they come. They, they were there for five to ten minutes, told us, take pictures on your phones and bring them by the station if you want. And good luck. And left. And I started grad school three days later. And from these awful experiences, we learn valuable lessons. What, what was the lesson that you learned? I mean, ultimately, the, the value of life. Like, you know, it almost, like, to start, it almost seemed like a joke. Like, it was happening. Like, it literally seemed unreal. Like, who, like, we're here helping these people. It didn't make sense to me. We're here helping these people in this country, and we're being robbed. Um, but then it came to a point where I ultimately came to, came to peace with the fact that I was going to die. I was super happy because my little brother, he had actually just gotten drafted about, this is May of 2015, he got drafted in April. Um, and I, I was just happy that he wasn't there. And he was already out in Oakland doing his rookie mini camp and all that stuff. And he was going to be able to live on his dreams. And literally me, my mom, my dad, my grandma, we were all going to die. And I mean, saw my life flash in front of my eyes. Like, it was pure peace. And then it was, you know, getting out of that, you truly, truly, one, understand the value of life, and two, I can frame that moment against anything. Meaning nothing is as worse as being tied up, covered in your own piss in a third world country and knowing you're about to die. Like, I never ran a marathon in my life. I could run one tomorrow because I know I wouldn't stop because all I gotta do is just think about, you're not, you're not dead, just keep running. And like, right. That's how I got to the NFL. That's how I've gotten to where I'm at at this point in my life. Last question. Uh, you know, with all of that behind you, there is that one decision that you ended your career, you still could have played. 100%. Right, I, 100%. I'll tell you, as an agent and someone that follows this stuff, you could have played, and you're one of the few guys, and it wasn't that you had concussions, you know, neck injury or, or something, but literally, what was it that said to you, you know what, I, I want to be wealthy. I, I, I don't need to play football anymore. I got my master's degree. I got my education. I experienced improved myself that I could be one of the best football players in the world. Something that, you know, I would say nine out of 10 kids say what you want. They want to be a professional athlete, but you know, it's one out of 10,000 or one out of a hundred thousand that actually get to do it. Absolutely. So here you are and you're going to give it all up just to go sell houses. I mean, mean, (laughs) it was honestly, it was twofold. So going into my third year, that off seasons, I I decided I didn't want to just be a fourplex and duplex real estate investor. I wanted to buy larger multifamily apartment communities. And so I was very tactical about it. I decided to figure out the markets I wanted to invest in. I hired a demographer, decided on the different market dynamics that I wanted to focus on, you know, job growth, population growth, things like that. Can I give you a hack to that? What's up? Go into the city, everybody listening, go into the city planner Mm -hmm. and see where companies like Lowe's and Home Depot 
are building their new Home Depots and Lowe's. Absolutely. <laughs> or second piece of advice, go into the fastest growing counties in America, take Main Street, go out eight miles, buy as much land as you can and just sit on it. Mm. Those are two, two hacks that I know. As I like far that. As, instead of the demography. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Melter hacks. I like that. And so that off season, as soon as January 1st hit, um, I literally went to those markets and started building teams out um, and started getting capital commitments from guys that I played with. And that was when I realized I was on fire. Like, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life, like 150%. And it was in this past, like, last August, I, had a, I have a one-year-old daughter now. And having her the morning of a game um, really put things in perspective. And I, I couldn't be the dad I wanted to be the investor I wanted to be and play in the NFL. It did not make sense. You know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm focused on football. 6 to 7.30, I get to be a dad. 7.30 to 9, I get to be a fiance. And when does what I actually love come into play? And I really, I mean, I realized it'd be, I mean, midweek, we're playing the Dallas Cowboys. Half of my page is what to know, Leighton Van Der Esch, Sean Lee, this guy, that guy other half of the page call this investor follow up with this person like running numbers on properties because i'm like i know all this stuff and i'm not excited about this stuff and i'm excited i can't wait to get home because i had to call this guy about what i just saw with this and that and like i realized like what the hell am i doing like you don't love this at all so like if you're not happy one what are you doing and two i realized you know i, I can do a lot more things with my life with real estate and you know chasing my own dreams without playing the nfl yeah, I think the biggest lesson is why I was so attracted to you and wanted you on here is you're somebody that learned to love what you do and you didn't allow others that faith that I talk about. You know, a lot of times I see athletes, they're just putting faith in what other people think of, of an NFL star. That's real. Right? And they, they literally, and then you feel stuck. And it's worse because it's a physical game and there's risk and there's so much sacrifice that people don't understand by being a professional athlete. They just take for granted. You're someone that had an incident. You can't take life for granted. So you know the value of your one-year-old's life. 100%. And I think people, when you make those business decisions and to be successful, whatever you do, you have to learn to love what you do and put it into perspective. But you also have a quantitative brain that you know, you understand the dollar. You, you know, from the five years old, you were looking for margin. <laughs> you know, and there's <laughs> no real. better thing in the world than real estate to look for margin because all our laws are based off of real estate is to protect the landholder. There's a variety of other reasons. The wealthy people in the world own the land. And I know you're going to be one of those people. So I appreciate you coming on and teaching some unbelievable lessons here on The Playbook. Absolutely. Thank you so much for Thanks having me, Dave. Thanks, Akeem Velez. This is Dave Meltzer, one of the best editions of Entrepreneurs, The Playbook. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.